Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Hello, welcome to episode 216 of Dial the Gate, the Stargate Oral History Project. My name is David Reed. I appreciate you joining me today. I am privileged to welcome Stargate SG-1's original production designer, Richard Hugh Dolan, uh, to my show. He was responsible for the first five seasons of the show as production designer. Uh, He's done, you can look him up on IMDb, his body of work is extensive. Battlestar Galactica and Caprica, Doctor Who. Um, he is responsible for so much of what it is uh, that uh, many of us watch in terms of sci-fi and consider, you know, uh, bedrock science fiction. And I can't wait to have him uh, share some of these uh, amazing stories with you and uh, have you get to know him a little bit. Before we get into the thick of it, if you enjoy Stargate, and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, click that like button. It makes a difference with our with our profile and we will continue to help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. And giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment the new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes. And clips from this episode will be released over the course of the next few weeks on both the Dial the Gate and the GateWorld.net YouTube channels. This is a pre-recorded episode, so the moderators in the YouTube chat will not be collecting questions for Rich they'll be there to enjoy um uh the uh, the show with uh, all of you so um i appreciate you tuning in i'm really excited about uh this episode we cover a lot of ground here a lot of fundamental stargate sg1 stuff in terms of the building of some of the most important set pieces of uh the mythology here's richard hudolan richard hudolan production designer Stargate SG-1, seasons one through five. Uh, This is such a treat for me, sir, to have you on. You are responsible in so many ways for the aesthetic that was Stargate SG-1. From the movie into this, this, this whole new world, you and your team of wizards. I can't, I can't begin to imagine um, the workload from the day to day that you guys managed to pull off and of course Battlestar Galactica and Caprica sir it is an honor to have you this is um I'm I'm you can't see but I'm pinching myself here <laughs> so it's, it's go ahead it's, no it's fine there's this lots of great shows that I do, you know Doctor Who was in there yeah. and uh, yeah all kinds of great shows that I've worked on not, not 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 all of them sci-fi, but you know, right. but uh, you know, uh, Little Women. I was an art director in Little Women way back when, when when Christian Bale was a little boy. For God's sakes, you know, uh, he was the guy, the little kid. <laughs> right. No, I might. All was, those great people. I, I, I yeah. was no means exhaustive in my um, uh, 
but at the at the beginning of that that there so so much of the stuff that you've 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 worked on you know people are are still watching to this day um what does stargate mean to you uh it was it was uh it was a pretty important part of my my career and uh i had just finished i can't remember what i had just finished but uh I got this call from Brad. I think it was Brad Wright, and uh, I call, uh, and they were over at the Bridge Studios, and I went and I met them. Uh, I think Jonathan was there as well, and uh, they were talking about this Stargate. And I had seen the movie, which I thought was fantastic, right? James Spader and that whole thing was all gorgeous movie, great concept. And they said we have this concept for a television series that'll tape you da 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 here, there, everywhere. And uh, Richard Dean Anderson was the star. And I said, well, Christ, MacGyver, he, you know, that's a great show as well. And uh, and we're going to get 44 episodes. What? 44 episodes? Are you kidding me? Um, and I had a great team already in progress. I had, you know, people that I worked with. I worked a lot. And I... Well, a lot of the people were learning computers. I was busy getting the next gig. You know what I mean? Because they're tapping away, and I'm going. I'm going to LA. I'm going here. I'm going there. I'm going to do that thing. So I was kind of the the guy who kept the the thing going. This big, uh, this actually, was a small machine. It wasn't a big machine. But, but you I were had feeding breathing. the machine. I was feeding the machine, and I had. I brought Bridget along and and Doug McLean and Ken Rebell and you know uh, uh, Tommy Wells who Tom Wells who was our construction coordinator and uh, the Davidsons who were props people uh, or sorry decorating people and uh, a, a, a whole tight tight art department it was and after you've worked with people a little bit you know you you either work again together or you don't, or you, you get a team together. Mm-hmm. You get a cohesive unity where the, where the short form is there, mm-hmm. you know, in, in parts of Stargate, I could be on a location on a phone. And again, this was pre computer and pre sticky notes and pre cell phones. <laughs> it was like you're a roll of quarters and <laughs> describing something or whatever uh, later on. And, 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 you know, Battlestar days, Christ, I'd be in a survey van six hours a day, and you could do a sketch and a sticky note, photograph it, send it to the art department. By the time you got back to the art department, there would be a drawing on a computer. Wow. It was because it was that fast, right? Because A, they could understand what you were saying and talking about. B, the physical information was transferred electronically so quickly. Um, but not in 1997. Not in 1997. No, back in the day, <laughs> you had smaller art departments. Uh, your your choices were: will that be an HB, a 2H, uh, uh, an F pencil, or a primer print, or <laughs> you know, and or do you want to do it in ink and really screw yourself up? <laughs> ink is permanent. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, but uh, you know, it was a smaller group back in those days. And we tended to, we did everything. We did, I, I've had art departments as three people, four people. And that was it. 
uh, and this is a television series on like Hat Squad or whatever. Three people, four, three people. You know, done. That's what you do. You're going to be the assistant. You're going to be the junior. You're going to be this, and I'll do that, and whatever. I'll do what I have to do. I'll go get the coffee. I don't care. You know, we're we're all part of the same deal here. And if I have to stay overnight, well, I'll stay overnight. That's not a problem. Because when the work is there and it has to shoot, it has to shoot. And when it's not there, I don't care if you got to go to the go. You want to take an afternoon off. That's I'm cool with that. You don't have to tell me where you're going every five minutes. I don't need to know. All I need to know is when that camera turns on, they got something really good to shoot. <laughs> and if it's your responsibility and it's not there, we're going to be talking. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Do you have your ha- your uh, phone near you? Pardon me? Do you have your cell phone handy? Yeah. I'm going to send you something. I'm not sure how long it's been since you've seen this. You may have a copy of it on your desk. But I came across this, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm sharing this with Richard. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have this photo somewhere. I really do. I, I'm not sure where it is at the moment, but, yeah, I remember that. So I have first names on here. On the left, it's Jenny. Jenny who? Oh, Sakamoto. Okay. Jenny, Doug McLean, Ivana, Bridget, me, uh, Michael Wong, and Ken Rebell. Wow. That and was your team. That was that was the Stargate gang, and all of these people I had worked with quite extensively over. What I'll call the core crew that were with me for the longest period of time would be uh, Doug McLean, Ivana, Bridget, and Ken. We were the the hard rock core. Uh, Jeannie then went on to do, you know, evolve into, uh, she was a junior at that time. So, the, you know, evolve into whatever position she's evolved into. Um, and Michael, when I, he's a great illustrator. And then Ken and I, Ken and I got along really well, and we just went from movie to movie to movie. And when we weren't working on a movie, here's the kind of guy Ken Rebell was. He was so talented. I would get a gig. I remember getting a gig one time, and and I called him and I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Oh, I'm scraping linoleum off of a floor doing a wrap on some show because there's nothing in town to for him to work on." Uh, or he didn't, or you know, everybody, all all the good illustrated jobs were taken, and he couldn't get a gig. And I said, I got one for you, and that was Stargate. <laughs> I said, whoever your coordinator is, go and tell him that I called, and and the coordinator said, just go, just go right now with Richard, and, and that's how we, that's how, and he was on Little Women and a whole lot of shows, man. He was a fantastic guy, fantastic guy. They all are. They were. That's one group of talent right there. <laughs> Ken, Ken, in particular, we we lost him a, a few years ago. Yeah, um, I was I was with him just before he uh, to ALS. He he uh, he went, uh, and it, it was a choice that he made. He, I remember him coming into my office uh, when he, when he told told me and Ben Bridget at the same time uh, that he had ALS. And uh, 
you know, we kept him as long as possible. We want we would have kept him as long as he wanted to stay. I could care less if he was even drawing. I just made sure he had a, an income. Right? Was this Battlestar at this point? He, this was on Arrow at this point. This was point. on Arrow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so we we uh, we told him, uh, you know, as long as you want to stay. And he just reached a point where he he, he physically couldn't do it anymore. And I remember, God, uh, I, I asked. Uh, Katie, our our uh, office assistant, to uh, go and get me a, a six pack of Coronas because I had called Ken. I said I'm going to come and visit you, yeah. and I, I sent her out and I said, "Get me some Coronas and give me some limes." <laughs> and I went to visit Ken, and a week later he uh, had people come over and take them away and do the assisted uh, dying thing. Uh, he knew it was coming and. He said, Richard, I just can't live like this anymore. And he was very proud and a very strong man. And that's the, that's the decision he made. And yeah. uh, and he said to me, he said, Richard, you know, a lot of people have been coming by to say hello and goodbye and all that. And you're the only guy that ever asked me what kind of beer I like. <laughs> that's the kind of sense of humor he had, right? And so we, uh, we, uh, we had a few of those... Uh, Wobbly pops and uh, <laughs> wobbly pops. And, That's great. And then, uh, you know, that was the last time I saw him. But a great guy. And I, I have things around my studio here and uh, illustrations that he's done for I don't know my birthday card or whatever stuff like that. It's uh, and he would just do this, you know. And Christ, he would. I think Bridget told you this. He would want to finish a drawing to the nth degree. And I remember a couple of times, because I would have to go and do the presentations, and if the executives weren't coming to Vancouver, I would fly to L.A., right? And I'd get my package together and make sure it was on a big enough size that I could carry it on. I'm not putting this in cargo. And uh, and I remember a couple of times I'm, I'd go up to his desk because I got the limo pulling up in five minutes to take me to the airport. And that flight's going to leave. And I'm I'm literally grabbing the thing up. I said, you're done, man. You're just fucking finished right now. <laughs> pry it out of his pry it out of his hands. And I, I literally was prying it off of his board <laughs> to take it with me. It said, look, I'll sell the rest, okay? I know what it's supposed to be. <laughs> oh, that's wild. So it was it was it was like that. And he again he was um he was a mountain climber. He, was, he did all kinds oh. of stuff. Yeah, he was a very interesting and a great guy. And I've known, I knew him, oh God, for a long, long time. I am privileged to have so many examples of his work to be able to show. You're surrounded by some large grave thing. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know what this possibly is, some kind of stargate or something. Is this, uh, is this yours or are these the salvage pieces from the feature? No, I brought it from home. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, is it is it Stargate Productions original or is is this what, what, the one salvaged happened, from the movie? What what happened once I got the gig? 
uh, we were in you know what was called the baby stage because the effects stage we didn't have access to at that point, and uh, the studio that we eventually wound up in wasn't even built yet. Yeah, stages five where SG one was and six, which was like yeah. a secondary, those were were still parking lot space. I wanted to establish it, this lot. first and foremost. I remember looking at drawings of those stages as they were in progress, and they would come to me and say, "Is there anything you want in these stages?" And I would say, "Yeah." Put in a couple of water taps and a couple of sinks because all architects always forget when they build a studio that a couple of water taps and a couple of sinks in a studio are a tremendous help to people like the painters and whoever has to do anything with water has, you know. And anyway, we had those. (laughs) But they were being built. So we were in the baby stage and I got the gig and we were setting up. And I was and I was talking to the execs and uh, and I flew down to Los Angeles and there was in the middle of nowhere up oh god north of uh, L.A. I went to MGM mm-hmm. and they assigned me a, a wonderful person a, a god I can't remember her name a great woman she and her job was they checked me out obviously and she told me this in the cars we're driving around she says I've never. My part of my job is to check people out when we hire them. And she said, I've never had anybody say a bad word about you, Richard. And believe me, I've checked you out, <laughs> which was pretty nice, I thought. Um, Absolutely. Because one of my favorite lines is, you know, if you ask about me, you're going to get varying opinions, <laughs> <laughs> which is fair enough, you know. So uh, you're in L.A. Well, anyway, you I have go to no LA. idea what you're going to work with yet, I'm guessing. No. No, none. How and far are you from uh, day one of shoot? Are we were we months out at this point? Oh yeah, but the very beginning, yeah. Okay, very beginning. We had, you know, we knew a couple of things we could start laying out and designing, but no, not not the gate, not the stargate, not the whole deal. A couple of locations we could work on stuff like that. But uh, anyway, I go north, and she drives me to this warehouse. There was a big warehouse in L.A where you had big creatures from the movie Stargate, you had this, you had that, and they stored all this stuff. And then we went up to this, like a ranch, hours north of L.A., and we found uh, bits of the Stargate. It was in pieces, right? It was scrapped at that point. And I'm looking at these, you know, if you look at the detailing on it, you say, well, I could, and I'm in my weird little mind, I'm going, well, I could pull a mold off of that, or I could do this, or I could do that, or at least I got something I can draw from or pull an image from it. And well, I sent back up two tractor trailers full of things like that. Nothing that was complete, it was all bits and pieces and. This thing's like, it's sort of like being an archaeologist, I guess. You find one bone and then you try and reconstruct more from that. So so I fly back up and I'm saying two tractor trailers will arrive here in about a week or a week and a half. And those tractor trailers showed up. We spread everything out. We set up our prosthetic. We made the original helmets, the ones that open and closed. Uh, those were mechanical. We made those uh, in a little sh- lean-to shop outside of the bridge studios that we put up. I mean, it was polyethylene and two-by-twos and, you know, a lot of toxic chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> and 
What are you talking about? We got air conditioning. You're outside, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I want to focus on the Stargate for a few minutes, yeah. if you don't mind, because it is such, to this day, was such a marvel of a prop. So you yes. bring two tractor trailers up. Yeah. You don't even have a complete Stargate. You have pieces that you can no. take molds from. Yeah. I think when the wider shot of the film, when it is spinning, I think that, I mean, they've, they've got someone doing something with it. They faked a lot of those spinning shots and with the chevrons and everything else. What you ended up with, you did not fake that. No. Tell me about the process that you went well, through I, I to make such an amazing prop. I mentioned Tom Weld's name and, uh, as the construction coordinator, and he had a great guy working with him called Jan Kabilka. And uh, these two guys were like yin and yang. They were great, right? One complimented the other so much, and Jan was totally into engineering and stuff. So they said, and I said, this thing has to work every goddamn time during the show, or one show. Not only that, we are up to 44 episodes, okay? So this thing's don't, don't, don't mess this up here. Don't fuck around. Tom found a place, I think it was in Seattle or someplace just across the border, and he had a 20-foot gear made. One gear, okay? And the shipping in this thing was unbelievably difficult, and it was just the biggest pain in the ass to try and get this thing to Canada. Now, I told you the stage was still being built, right? So, so the elephant doors are only a certain size. So there I am measuring off a drawing the angle on the... The, 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 uh, the diagonal. Diagonal on the elephant door to make sure, and I have to be careful of the thickness of the gear so it goes into the set. <laughs> Because I don't think they'd like it if I'm saying you have to take out part of this wall, which is a concrete wall. And that's that was the beginning of it. That gear, it was so precise. And it was machined. And it was it was like a gear in your transmission. It never failed. So that it gear was, was created for the show? Yes. Yeah. It cost a lot of money. And people looked at me sideways, and I said, you watch. You know, it'll pay. Because and, it has to land on every glyph yeah. that it's supposed to. And yeah. apparently it didn't have, like, a fixed, like, resting place. It had no. to remain free to float. What was that like? And then you built the... Um, what were what were the the exterior pieces that were that were bolted into they were, it? Uh, they were they were they were it was shrouded in fiberglass pieces, okay. and then the ring was within that, and then each of the lights that lit up were like. Uh, I talked to the painter about this, and I said, "Look, I want the it's got to be opaque when I'm looking at it, and it's not lit, but it's got to be transparent when it is lit, and there is a, there is such a thing." That, but they have to look, and back in those days, they have to look far and wide for it, right? So when you look at the whole thing, unless it's backlit, that does not light up. Um, so the, the painters had their, you know, their problems cut out to them as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was it was a really really tricky piece to build uh, in in every one of those departments. Uh, 
And I, again, I give total credit to uh, to all the guys and, and you know Tom and Jan and uh, I think it was Ken Wells who was painting at the time. Uh, and man, oh man, they they did they did a great job. And and Sal Batila did all of the helmet work and all of that. Wow. He, he was a a sculptor and an incredible mechanical kind of guy, right? But those things were were things of beauty. I mean, they were. The whole thing in in the movie they were CG. Mm-hmm. No, those helmets were heavy. I wore them before I sold them for problems, yeah, well, and I'm, I'm going to get to them. I I I put one of those on one right. day, and I'm listen. I'm claustrophobic. Okay, I'm claustrophobic <laughs> enough. You know, I don't like hugs. I maybe they'll shake your hand, but that's it. All <laughs> no touchy feely shit. <laughs> I no. put one on, and I couldn't get it off. <laughs> and I'm running around. I'm in the art department, and I'm going, Bridget, get this goddamn thing off me right now. <laughs> oh, man. They're all trying to yank it off my head. Jeez. <laughs> Hold my ears, you know, up to here. <laughs> Boy, did you learn your lesson. I never tried. never did that again. <laughs> the, in the film, oh. um, there are several, and I've been dying to ask you this for years, there are several... Um, elements in the film that are not consistent from the series. Yeah. Like you've already said, the, the chevrons uh, were lit red in the film. They were, it was a, it was solid Naquita in universe. Yeah. The glyphs uh, were depressed in the, in the movie version. In this version, they were raised on top. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Were these, changes deliberate changes were they uh of like okay let's do it this way because this looks better or were they they changes of design i imagine the red glow was was a change of that would look better for the screen it looked better for the screen that was one thing okay uh the 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 glyphs themselves uh, came down to well, what would look better for one thing, and yeah. I, w- I would prefer that a shadow was cast on the glyphs, which means you raise them, um, as opposed to invent them. And uh, so it worked on that on that level for me visually, and then I, then also it worked uh, in the manufacturing of them because it was easier to do it as an applique rather than the other way around. So it was win win, and I went. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll explain it later. Don't worry about it. Did you ever um, have problems with that with that gate? Was there ever like, did, was it ever? No. Did you ever have to shut down for maintenance issues? No. Nope. Wow. Nope. Never. What never. Even after, even after I left, it worked perfectly. It was. Yeah. It, it it just worked. Could you attribute a dollar figure to it if I asked you to, like an estimated range? In terms of R oh, and D and um, parts and shipping and everything that that put oh, that thing together, you know, is it a million dollar item? Uh, I probably these days, yeah. But I, I I can't I I I can't remember what it actually you know when you total, start totaling all those costs in, it's I, I can't throw a number at that. Wow. But if I were to do it today, I would guarantee you that if I said I wanted to build that now. Uh, it would be it would the, the gear alone would be a quarter of a million dollars. Wow! Uh, and that's just the cost. That's the price of poker today, you know. Yeah, 
It's and, it's uh, a marvel that you made that, and I, I can't remember who said it, but it never missed a glyph, you know. Never. And you guys had to lock. They locked it a lot, and when it went yeah. around, it was yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. I know, I know. It was, uh, you know, you, you spend the money where you, you got to make those decisions early on, and usually you're by yourself and you have to make that call. Yep. Uh, and you say, well. I'm going to roll the dice or do you want to do it this way? I don't want to make a mistake now. It's, we've come too close and I'm not going to blow it now. And now so, everyone who's listening in picture all that we've said. Mm. And now we're a few episodes into the show and you get to take it all apart and do it again. <laughs> do you remember this? What the fire? No, not the fire. You had to move it over to stage five when stage yes. five was oh, finished yeah. building. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. everything had to be bolted together, then unbolted, Every, and then taken every, away. Yeah. Well, we have to We have to not, not only move that, we have to move a number of sets because we had shot a couple of episodes in the effects stage. And the effects stage is a very long stage. It was, it's got to be 350, 400 feet long. It's got a high ceiling. Because they used to build bridges in it, obviously. Mm -hmm. They built the San Francisco Bridge in it, the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm -hmm. That's um, a good trivia question. That's why it's called the Bridge Studios. That's where that's Golden Gate was built the in the effects stage. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so we had to move all kinds of other sets as well. <laughs> so, but the, the, the big thing with me was this goddamn thing better fit through that door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it did. Boy, I'll tell you, the champagne was flowing that night. <laughs> uh, guys, wait until I'm there before you move this one. I just want to watch it personally I, I when you take sure. it out the door. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, it was like that. Here, I'll help you. <laughs> yeah. The um, uh, the helm, the fire that you mentioned, they, they had just shot um, yeah. an Antarctica set. Yes, in, the ice in, set, the, yeah. in stage six, which rubs up against stage five, which is the SGC. Stage six yeah. eventually yeah, became right the Atlantis there. base. Yeah. And there was a um, stumble light uh, after Antarctica had been cleared for solitudes. There was a stumble light yeah. that had caught fire. Yeah. Were you there on the set that day or did you hear about this later? <laughs> I walked into that stage just before that fire because uh the set was done and it was all foam and whatever and to strike that kind of set you don't have guys go in and take it apart stick by stick you have a crane come in with a pick on it and it's out of there in half a day it's there's no reclaiming it because it's already carved and shaped into forms that nobody can use. So it's not, it's the only way to really get rid of it and not cost as much as the set costs to build. So the stage was empty and I walked, you know, I walk, I like walking into an empty stage and I like I, quite often when I walk into an empty stage, I keep saying, well, we're just going to need more room, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it really annoys, it really annoys producers. <laughs> <laughs> that stage was empty and right next to it is the main set, right? With the office and the Stargate and everything else. That particular weekend, I had made a date with a, uh, 
a, a female friend of mine who was shooting a movie in uh, in South Carolina. And she said she was staying at a place called Folly Beach in South Carolina. This is such place as Folly Beach, man. She says, oh, yeah, there is in Charlotte, Charlotte, South Carolina. Uh, no, Charleston. Charleston. Okay. Beautiful city, man. Beautiful city. Uh, so I said, I'm going to come and visit that particular weekend. So I go into the stage and I everything's cleared and, you know, the light is on because you walk through the trap and you, okay, everything's cool. I didn't notice that the light had fallen and was against the, uh, the drywall. And I get on my plane and I go to South Carolina to Folly Beach and having a great old weekend. And I have my cell phone with me and my phone rings. And it's Andy Makita, who was the production manager. Yeah. And he said, Richard, where are you? There's been the, the bridges on fire. <laughs> I'm going, well, that's really bad, I guess. But I can't do a thing about it, man. I, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the lobster boats out <laughs> in, <laughs> on the Atlantic Ocean, man. <laughs> and uh, we were very lucky that that uh they were able to contain that fire enough that it didn't actually burn into the stargate set but they had cleaners into that stargate set for months afterwards cleaning with the toothbrush because if you've ever been in a in a major fire there is a smoke and there's a smell that's left afterwards that is like it's an acrid smoke and and it it annoys your nostrils and your throat and uh, and and you can you can feel this right it's uh, but they were in there with with toothbrushes cleaning and scrubbing every little crevice of that set trying to get rid of this smell and they have other things they i don't know ozonators or whatever that they always had in the set to try and clear it up but they're just very lucky that a that set had been struck the foam set because if that foam set went up the roof would have gone up because the roof was uh, asphalt and tin, right? Basically, and I guarantee you, all of that structure, the crisscross structure up above, would have melted, oh. and that would have taken care of that entire stage. I how I, how would how would Star, Stargate have recovered if SGC was burned to the ground? Uh, you would. You could still shoot in in the Stargate set. Yeah, but if they were going to rebuild that stage, you'd have a big problem because now you got a scheduling problem because they're going to build that stage because they're that's their bread and butter. They need skate, you know, they want to rent the stage and they've got the space. Wow! So to rebuild that stage would have taken months and months. They, the stage actually goes up pretty quick. You know, they they drop these big precast concrete panels and they just lift them up. So a stage can go up fairly quickly, but it's still two three months. Um, and yeah, it would have it would have put a huge kink in uh, Stargate as a totality. The helmets for the movie were obviously CG, and you yeah. guys went and did mechanical ones for yeah. SG One. Um, you know, had had this been like an unlimited budget, you know, every Gould and his Jaffa would have had their own helmet designs. But uh, <laughs> we had the ones made for Apophis, and you had them. For Teal'c and Apophis, the mechanical ones, so that if you shot them head on, yeah, you wouldn't see the business in the back. 
and they could no. do they could do this. Yeah. And any one time that they went to the side of the side, it was a different helmet. Yeah. What was it like? I assume it's a similar process to the Stargate. Just you've got pistons and these, you know. Uh, yeah, well, you know, simple basic hydraulics. It's yeah. uh, and again, Sal Bakila, who was our our uh, model maker, special sculptor kind of guy, he figured out all that, all that, all that stuff out. Because I mean, I I don't know how to do that. <laughs> it's like I wanted to. I'll tell you what I wanted to do. You're the expert in that area, and 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 I'm a great fan of letting people do what they're best at. Mm. Okay, I know what my limitations are. I'm not any good at doing hydraulics. I know what it's supposed to look like, <laughs> and I and not this, and I know that, and I know all of that stuff. But I know that you know how to do that shit. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to make your day today because here's one for you. And people are happy to do that because it's what they love. Sal was like a, he was happier than a clam. (laughs) And I didn't have a problem anymore. So it was, again, it's like win-win, right? It's like, I'm not the best illustrator in the world. Ken Rebell is. Yeah. Ken, draw this. Here's the sketch. Here's what I want it to look like. I want yeah. these colors. Or if you've got an, if you've got a better idea, please put it down. If it's a better idea, I will not only take it and use it. I'll give you credit for it, which is what I hope I I have always done and I always continue to do. And there's uh, James Robbins uh, said no no drawing is wasted. He did, uh, Ken did a drawing for an alien from an episode called The Gamekeeper that, that Dwight Schultz went and played that did not have the alien makeup that was used. It had op- it had uh, 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 pneumatic tubes, not pneumatic tubes, just plastic tubes that would make the different parts of the face uh, open and yeah. close. And it yeah. was used later on in the season for another species. That's yeah. like, oh, we can use that, just not for this episode. We'll use it later. Yeah. yeah. Just wild. And you would be amazed how many things are are changed over and reused in different ways. Yeah. It's, I, I remember I'm in my office in Stargate one day. It was late. It was a Friday or whatever, four o'clock, five, and it was a late shoot for whatever reason. We had wound up into a late start on a Friday, which you try not to do because you try to give the crew a weekend off, right? No Fridays, if possible. Yeah. So we anyway we wound up shooting late that day and some one of the ad's comes running into my office and said we need an alien object man and we need it like right now and i said well what are you talking about there's nothing in the script no 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 we just come up with this and i had a round uh stainless steel ball about the size of a baseball and I picked this ball up, and I had some, uh, I don't know if you know what letter set is, but back in the day, it was like a, a little thin black tape. And we would use it in the art department for drawing, you know, a line, boom, done. And you could apply it to uh, to wood or to plastics or and create a design with them. So I took this thin strip of letter tape, and I wrapped it in a various random series of circles around this stainless steel ball and i said there you go it's not what i 
Oh, and they made it to camera that day. <laughs> I think that's the Gould grenades. They, they roll on the floor and let it go. Yeah. Those are used throughout the rest of the show. Sometimes you just have to think on your feet, man. And yes. When you some... needed something, you didn't need it. You know, there's no time to chit chat about it. It's. And who are you going to ask? You're going to ask me because that's part of my job. So, okay. I remember uh, th- there was a there was a, a junket uh, special feature I think on season one of the of the DVD for SG One, and you're like you know other shows do offices and courtrooms, we do worlds, yeah, and you did week after week. <laughs> you know, how many? What was the process like? Can you take me through the process for a typical show with a typical off-world planet? How many weeks did you have in advance? Um, would you, I mean, well, the budget, I'm assuming John Linick, you would all sit down. Maybe John wasn't at that point, but. Um, but yeah, yeah, John what, came in later. Okay. What what would happen at the beginning of every season, is, I'll go back a little bit and give you a little history here. Before, we, we know our start date for the crews to come in and do the prep and art department start dates and all that in the beginning of the sh- and the shoot date, day one. I would come in a week or two before the art department, and I'd meet with Brad and Jonathan and Robert and whatever other writers were there at the time. There were maybe five or six of us. And we'd sit in Brad's office and have coffee. And and I would ask questions like, okay, give me the arc for the first half a year, six episodes, or as much as you can. Mm. And these guys were smart enough that they'd have an arc almost, you know, half of the year. Mm -hmm. And I'd make notes and say, okay, so in this episode, and I don't need the specifics. I just need the broad strokes, okay? So you're going to be going to this planet and this world, and now you're going to flip and do a dual thing over here, and we're going to flip back to this. So now I can see where I can take from episode two and apply it to episode five. These are big kind of thoughts, right? Where you're leapfrogging from one to the next, and you're planning six months to a year in advance of shooting. Um, and sometimes they could be they could give me enough clues of where what their intention was just give me your intention and we will see what we can do and and quite often we would come up with ideas and sketches and they would you know brad or whoever would drift through the art department and say oh that's a good idea i'm gonna write to that you're giving them ideas yeah well wow. no they gave me their idea first yes <laughs> but everyone's feeding we, off of each other's energy we took yeah you know, it's a synergy we took yeah. that and we did that and he looked at that and went, wow okay and so for a typical so i already had the jump start so when the when the art department started my my crew of what six people whatever however many it was mm. uh i would i would be able to have a meeting with them and say okay bridget you're the art director, but here's what, here's how this is going to go. I think uh, he should be doing this and she should be doing that. And we'd assign each of these things to one of the art department people. So everybody got a shot at designing something, right? Mm. It wasn't like your job is doing the coffee and your job. Everybody had a shot to do something creative. And, uh, 
and 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 now we had it we had a, an overview of where we were going to be in in a month or six weeks or and how we could take what was on Ken's desk right now and apply it to what's on Doug's desk in three more episodes. And and when you're designing this, you've got that in mind. Right. So you're designing with the capability of changing it into something else. So that was a huge plus uh, to be able to have that two, one or two weeks with the writers, and I go into my office, and it was again parking is really easy because there's nobody around, right? Yeah, <laughs> drive in and fun. Um, and then, and then on an episodic basis, uh, they were pretty good. We would, if they couldn't get us a script, they could tell us pretty much where they were going to go and what they were doing because you don't design and build this stuff in, in seven days, you know or eight, including the second unit day, it, it, it's impossible. Uh, and, and you know, again, as Bridget said in your interview with her, by the time a visiting director would show up, they'd sit down, they'd read their script, and they'd say, okay, here's what I want to do. And I'd say, well, here's what we've got, and we'd have a package, and it would be uh, notes and props and set deck, and uh, illustrations and floor plans and what we were building. And sometimes that package would be as thick as the script. Uh, and I'd say, and everybody in that room would get one, right? Yeah. And this is something I've done on every show that I've ever really worked on. Everybody gets what's called the package. And uh, and quite often they'd say, oh, I see the ship has already sailed. And I said, the ship sailed four weeks ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> Welcome aboard. <laughs> Welcome aboard. Would you like tea or coffee? You know? <laughs> oh man! Enjoy your stay, sir. <laughs> wow. So yeah, uh, and, and again, the, the the writers were were very good in uh, in in forewarning us or telling us uh, where they wanted to go with these things, especially Brad and Jonathan. And, mm-hmm. um, Jonathan left, I think, after the second or third Between, season. Uh, yeah, at the end of season three. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, back to LA. And and, and then uh, Brad took it over. And Brad, you know, they're both great guys, but, but Brad just picked up the ball and and he's such a nice man. It was like, there. Yeah. I think I was telling you in our first conversation that in each of these great shows that I worked on, be it. Stargate, Doctor Who, Battlestar, Caprica, whatever. There's always been a great writer at the top of it. Yeah. Uh, Brad Wright on on Stargate, Ron Moore on Battlestar. Um, you know, they're amazing had, at what uh, they do. You know, and you can trust them had, for anything. We had Phil and uh, God, what was his name on uh, Doctor Who? It was it was amazing, and these guys. I mean, if any one of those guys called me right now and said, "I've got a movie and wherever," I'd just go. I'd say, "Yeah, sure, tell me about it." But I, I, that's fine. I'll go where David Nutter is the director. Mm-hmm. I'll go with you anywhere. Absolutely. These, these are very cool. The talent is unbelievable. They're nice people. There's not a screamer in there, you know. When you're and, surrounded by people who love what they do, uh, 
if you're you're lucky enough to get to work there there's some people that use like you know what i under certain circumstances it's it's great to be paid but if it's doing something that i could be willing to do for free with these people you know yeah. you're a lucky person yeah for sure yeah um you know mary my my uh my mary <laughs> yeah is uh I hate to put a label on her. I don't want to say my partner or my wife. But mm. That's it sounds like I own her, and I don't. Yeah, she's her own individual right. free spirit. You know what I mean? So my Mary, <laughs> not in a possessive way. Uh, she's a costume designer, and she's done a lot of big movies. And we were talking about the state of the business today, and you know, with the writer strike and the actor strike, and 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 it's very difficult. Um, I've never seen it this this bad and i've been doing this for over 40 years now uh in one way or another um be it cbc television or teachers or 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 television series or whatever and uh i i just don't know what's going to happen it was a different time man and i know this is all going to get solved and the thing is, we were again, Mary and I were talking and saying, when we came, I'd listen, I've worked with some of the greatest people on the planet. Mm. I worked with Sir Ken Adam. This is the guy that invented James Bond, Dr. No, and Goldfinger, and all that stuff. I worked with Harry Lang, 2001, right? Uh, I've worked with Philip Harrison, Aliens, and all that stuff. I've worked with great directors, the Frankenheimers, the John Badhams, the Peter Hyams, uh, Peter, you know, unbelievable people. And every one of these people was very generous. Richard Lester, who, you know, amazing director. He, he did Superman 3 when I worked with him. And he did the Beatles movie, Help. Uh, yes. I mean, these are world-class people. And there's little old me, you know. And I remember Richard Lester, we were out in High River doing something on Superman. And he uh, we've been sur- we surveyed there three times, and the camera's going to be this, that, and that done. Well, we get there, and I, I go to open the set. Where's the goddamn camera? It's pl- it's over there. I said, "What are you doing?" He says, "Well, I want to shoot over there. What are you going to do?" I said, "Well, you never told me." He says, "Well, Richard," and he he was very cool about it. He could have ripped me a new asshole, right? But he didn't. He put his arm around me. He said to the AD, give me a second. I'd like to have a word with Richard. Not in a bad way. Not like he was going to give me shit or something. But he put his arm around me. We took a little walk. And it was at the end of the street. There was this bank, a royal bank, which you only have in Canada. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, we don't have those down here. (laughs) And and you don't have them anywhere except here. (laughs) And and, and, uh, he said, look, Never trust a director <laughs> when they say they're only going to see this. And here's how I'm going to fix that for you. and something you can put in your back pocket. He said to the AD, get me an extra, get me a ladder, and get me a squeegee. And he put that extra in front of the sign or the building to obscure it enough with the squeegee as if he were cleaning the window or the sign. And he said, and that's how you do it. But don't ever trust a director when he tells you <laughs> he's not going to see something. <laughs> but you made it work. And we made it work. Yeah. And he shot with three cameras. He shot with a close-up, 
a medium, and then they had a huge telephoto in the far background. He would finish shooting at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And they would come to the art firm and say, where can we shoot tomorrow? And say, we're not ready. We, can, we can't generate this stuff fast enough because you're shooting so fast. He would just chew it up. You wow. Know? Unbelievable. And the first time I saw that long lens, I went, holy shit, that's got to be a thousand millimeter lens. <laughs> and he's way out there, right? And he's just picking off this and that and that and that. This was for Superman. That's Superman, yeah. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. That was the first uh, really big movie that I worked on. I mean, this is back when you flew Superman on wires, right? Right. We were, <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were in Calgary, and we had to fly him down a street in downtown Calgary. We changed the direction of traffic in the street. We dug trenches in the street. In a downtown main street of, of, of Calgary, which is a big city, we had a guy with this big drum and cable, like 80 feet in the air, wind up Superman and then track him, fly him, move him on a trolley up there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and the city let us do whatever we wanted. We did whatever we, we treated them very well, by the way. Right. They did, they did all right by us <laughs> and we did all right by them. But it was, it was my first experience with, um, uh, how should I phrase this? Uh, a big, big movie, yeah. and yes. and um, and that attitude um, stuck with me for a long time. I mean, I guess a whole lot of combinations of everything, all of these people that I've just mentioned, and their approach to something. I and I, I would tell people in my art department, you do not design with a calculator next to your drawing board. You design with this and with this, and you got a script, and you know what you're trying to accomplish here. It's an emotion, it's a feeling, it's a visual, it's a whole lot of things that are intangible. What it costs, we'll figure out later. Right. You get it right, and we'll figure it out. Believe me. If you're starting and with a calculator, you're limiting yourself. You're totally limiting yourself. Wow. And 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 I would say, and they say, well. We're over budget. I say we're not over budget. Just, just let's get it right, and either I will change it so that it is right, or I will find the money to make it right. And you got to trust me because I'm trusting you, and we're all here to do this thing, right? They, and and once they got that, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, part of my 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 reputation was that. I, 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 I like to design big, which, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the line. You show me an 18,000 square foot stage, and I'm going to say, we're going to need more room. More room. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally build, like, wall to wall. Yeah. I leave a safety lane, but I, I build wall to wall. And because I don't want to lose that 10 feet of stage space. You know, you got to leave four or five feet on either side for laneway. I'll, I'll leave you the laneway, but I'm using the concrete walls to hang scenery on. Wow. Right up flush. And I, sometimes I've had arguments with the safety guys. And I said, what I've got is safer than the, what you're telling me I have to do. Because here's here's the why, here's the wherefore. And that's all fireproof. And this is fireproof. 
So it all worked out. But people would look and say, well, you're breaking all the rules. I said, well, I'm not breaking them, really. <laughs> I'm just, I'm taking a different approach to them. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the visual trickery um, that you guys uh, would, would execute, I mean, it's just like magicians. Uh, I remember going to set for the first time in season nine. And, you know, it's for, in my brain, the SGC is concrete. And I put mm. my hand against the wall, yeah. and it's a facade. <laughs> and further up, uh, Bridget even said that it wasn't even that material. It was something even thinner up above because no one was yeah. ever going to touch it. Yeah. And it made economic sense to do that. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was Tom Wells talking to me while we were building it. And I think it was above the 12-foot level. He said, Richard, I know all of this is hard and it's concrete and whatever, but why, why are we building hard flats up there? And I said, well, if you can make that cotton look like this, be my guest. And they did. That's just extraordinary. <laughs> Saved a shitload of money. Yeah, absolutely. Which I put somewhere else, right? Absolutely uh, you could. Because there's always a place to put. You, you always want to put the money in front of the camera. Yeah. And where are you going to see it? I, I don't. I could care less that there's a finial on that stick that's 80 feet in the background. You're not going to notice it. You're going to look for the actors, the action, the dialogue, whatever. Um, you're not looking for If you're looking for that kind of detail, I've lost you already. You know, forget about it. It's like, who cares at that point? You know, you may as well leave the theater. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of us has got to leave the theater. <laughs> it's... Uh, you, it, uh, anyway, we we talked about um, recreating the gate. You also had to recreate the mountain complex. How much wiggle room did you feel you could have in terms of changing a couple of the details while making sure that other details were in place? You got the main observe uh, uh, window into the. Uh, from the gate room into the control room upstairs, you got the secondary Ooh. window for the briefing room. Certain things had to be in place. You needed certain hallways. You needed yep. it to look a certain way. But how much freedom did you have for filling out the details and filling out the world? And also I, because it had been a year since too in the story. I, I, I they literally said, "Do what you want to do." And I remember. That set was designed so you got the Stargate, mm -hmm. and then you got the, and then the control room was up top, and then the spiral staircase to get you up and down really easily, which they hardly ever used, but they should have used more, I thought. But yeah, it was cool. Then the office was on next to that uh, conference room, mm -hmm. and down below, there's the Stargate. That whole wall was why it moved. It was on a track, so I could build another room just off. If I'm looking at the Stargate to my left. I use that for other rooms all the time and uh, all the tunnels and everything else. Uh, I could, you know, if I, if I build a, a, what's what I would call an, an eye kind of tunnel, there's a tunnel up here, that big tunnel down there, that big. And I build one in the middle and I leave it open at both ends. It's infinity. Wow. Look at that people going and coming, and then I turn the camera around and I look the other way, and now they're in a different tunnel. Or I change the graphics, or I, 
you know, it, it, you can you can do amazing things with a couple of simple little things, uh, be it be it a graphic or be it turning turning the camera around, mm-hmm. uh, and and people seem to have this. They seem to think the camera is God, and it's not. It's a recording device. Um, and it's like, it's the same thing with light. Everybody goes, oh, the light. And, you know, well, you think that's not designed? Every one of those illustrations you look at is lit. I remember one of our, DP, our DPs on Stargate would come to us and he would thank us. He'd say, well, man, thanks for lighting the set because I just looked at your illustration. I just go and hang a couple of lights and it's done. The lights yeah. built into the image. Yeah, yeah, I'm a two DPs that I didn't get along with. I'd say, wait a minute, you keep telling me, you know, like you invented light. Look at the classic <laughs> painters. Yeah. Look at those guys. And you know what? They didn't need a thousand feet of trucks to pull a light out of every five minutes, to, you know, yeah. to light something. And I, there was one guy, our, our producer hated this guy. And he would always, this producer would, Say to me, we'd be. I remember being in a location at one point, a different show. Mm. Um, and he said, uh, Look at this. And we're standing by one of the lighting trucks, it's empty. And he says, Look at this. The thing is already lit. He's already emptied the entire goddamn truck. This DP lights with available light. You know that? Every available light in the truck. <laughs> it's like. And there's no, you know, and I've worked with great DPs as well. I mean, I can tell you, you know, there are guys that are DPs that first class. I have the highest regard for them. Uh, and I, and, and some, not so much. So the, the, the first class ones don't need the kitchen sink, don't need everything in the truck to make it work? No. Wow. No. Wow. No, they they walk onto a set and they know exactly what is designed, what's done, and why it's done. Mm. They may ask for a practical over here or something like that. It doesn't look like a night baseball game when they light it. Mm. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's subtle. It's beautifully lit. Um, it enhances the space for the actors. Because you walk in and there's a mood that they create with this light. Mm. And it's what we're trying to do with, with anything that's physical or a set or, or a visual effect that we we used to design a lot of the visual effects. I mean, I remember in Stargate when I remember going to Richard G. Madison one day and I had an illustration in my hand because he had to be on a, a catwalk kind of thing and look down. And it was a green screen. And and I knew he was going to say, well, what the hell am I looking at? Yeah. And I made sure I was there when he was on that set. And I went up and I'm, I'm, I'm with him. You know, I talk to him all the time. And and I, I walked up to him, walked up to him, and he's looking over this railing and I'm saying, here's what you're supposed to be looking at. And it was an illustration of what he was supposed to be looking at because we were going to put that in later, right? Of course. Said, oh, man. Now I got it. And you could see, now he knew how to act with where he was. He didn't know what he was working with before. It's just a blank at. space. 
It's a it's a green screen. Yeah. It's nothing, you know. And 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 he went, oh yeah, that's really cool. And then he got it. And he could move his head or his eyes or yeah, he could kind of point at something and know that it was there or going to be there. Yep. And we used to do a lot of that. Uh, it wasn't like you just put up a green screen and send somebody away say give me something yep. if it was basic graphics on a computer or something unless there was something specific you wanted there were a lot of talented computer guys as well uh, who could generate beautiful imagery and you say keep it in this color range I don't want to see uh, this bright yellow in this room because I've used these colors in this room mm-hmm. keep it with the greens and the reds and the blues and 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 they would understand and you know, so you're you're not restricting them. You're just kind of guiding them a little bit, because um, I don't want to restrict them. I I just I I need their help, and I don't want to piss them off. You know, <laughs> a, but I I also want to have what I want. Uh, it's a, you have to be a little bit selfish to be doing what I'm doing. I um, I would imagine if people were seeing that you were going out of your way to make sure that someone had everything that they needed, that in that there would be, you know, in turn, a place was like, okay, he really wants this. I really want to do everything I can to make it work for him, you know, yeah. as much as yeah. is reasonably possible. Well, I, I, I think I got a lot of help from a lot of those people that I've worked with. And, you know, that photo that you sent me, those are all great people. And, those people I respect a lot, and to this day I respect a lot. And hopefully they respect me. Mm. And when you have that kind of thing, uh, where they know I'm not asking this just for my health, I'm asking right. this for a reason, and it's beyond me. It's not just about Richard, Richard, Richard. It's no, there's no me, me, me here. It's it's about what we're doing here. Why are we here? You know. Um, and I, I, I hold people in high regard and I respect them. And if, if they don't have the talent and I don't respect them, then I'm sorry. I don't have a job for you. You don't have time to to handle. That's it. You know, I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to train somebody, but understand if I'm training you, you get to listen. (laughs) <laughs> right exactly i don't i've had i've interviewed so many people that want to come in with no experience or very little experience and they want to be they want my job or the art director's job or they think you just point right well no you don't you don't just point you should be able to draw something really yeah, with a pencil or a yeah. pen or a scat napkin, anything. Yeah. Or I don't care if you do it on a computer. But guys like again, Ken Rebell, he could pick a medium. He could work on a computer, he could work in, in wow. watercolors, he could work in inks, he could work he could work anything you wanted. Gosh, pick pick something. You know, you give him a stone and a chisel and he'll make something out of it. <laughs> He's like that, you know, and other people would go, oh, no, oh, no. And and I I, don't, I, I like to surround myself with, with good, honest, talented people. And they are out there. 
and they deserve the credit that they deserve and and the others should find a different line of work. Mm. I had in my conversation with Bridget, I thought I was going to walk away with um, an impression that your biggest enemy was the budget, but it seemed to be more time. No, no, they got time is always a time is a problem. Well, especially in in episodic, it's you got seven days to shoot it, but if you got the right prep. And you've got people that are listening to what you're saying and how to shoot it. So if, if time was a real pressure, I'd say, well, can we do a French reverse on this one? Which means you're building one. You're looking this way. You're still looking this way. You change a couple of little things or lighting or whatever. And you can't tell. Time. You can't tell. Right? It's yet another of those little tricks you use. Uh, or I'll build you a three-wall set. And for the fourth wall, you go this way. Or, and I have built sets that are incomplete. And I I remember, oh God, I remember one DT. I built this, it was a pretty big set, but it was about, it was a street scene. And it was, let's say, 270, 60 degrees finished. And there was nothing in them at that, from that point to that point. And he called the producer instead of coming to me. And the producer comes up, and the DP says uh, he can't shoot this. I said, well, why not? He says, well, look, there's nothing there. I said, why is there nothing there? I said, well, first of all, that's where the money ran out. And and that got his attention, you see, because now it's money, and he's a producer. And I said, well, if you do this, and you do that, and you avoid that, you shot it. Why do you need this? You don't. All he has to do is get off his ass and think a little bit, and it'll be fine. Yeah, the audience's mind fills in the details. And you don't have to light it. Look at the money you (laughs) (laughs) save. You know, there's there's a lot of ways to go with things. And, you know, it just depends how you want to approach things. And I have no fear of a producer coming to me and saying, we're going to go through this budget. And usually they're, we're going to go through this, but like you've done something wrong because, you you know, this number is wrong. And I remember at least a num- two, three, four times, I would sit and when I break the script down, I'll go line by line and I'll put a dollar figure to it. Okay? You want this shot? That's got to see that. What are you going to see? You're going to see that? You've got to build back. you got to build back here. That's Line impressive, back. Richard. That's impressive. Okay. And I would go through this uh, this budget. And I'd say, here's a red pen for you. Anything that you see in this breakdown you don't like, you strike a line through it, and I won't build it. And see that number at the end? That goes away when you put the red line through it. They never used the red pen. They found the money somewhere else because they knew I wasn't bullshitting them. You were going to build it. I was going to build it. I remember I told you that thing about how to build a hallway, right, with the the two bits here and the one bit in the middle. And I worked with a producer who I liked. And again, the budget was a little high. And he, he came to me and said, well, what are you building here for God's sakes? And, you know, <laughs> the usual bluster. And I, and I said, well, tell me what you're used to. And he, he said, well, we built this thing on the show. And it was like, I said, how many feet do you think it was? 
says, well, it was this many feet. And I took my scale out for my drawing, and I said, okay, so this hallway is this many feet. That's pretty much the same as what you said there. And this one is that many feet. And so they're pretty much the same. Right. Mine just looks different. Right. <laughs> but it's the same footage. <laughs> right, exactly. You're still going to get a camera in there and do it. You're going to, it's the same footage. And wow. you just, you just, well, if you put it that way, right? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> so, and then, uh, you have to understand, I, I find these like humorous and enjoyable experiences. I don't find them like conflicts. It's no. like, <laughs> it's you're like, figuring it out. If you're not, you're not having fun with this stuff. What's the point? You know? No, no, it's not, <laughs> it's not worth it. The amount of stress. Stress oh, yeah. management is just a part of this, you know. It's you might as well sit your sit your butt, you know, on the beach where just far enough into the water where the ocean is just lapping you in the face. Yeah, and you know, you just have to. Your brain recognizes, okay, another few seconds, I'm about to get lapped in the face again. I got to be ready for it. You know, that's episodic television. I have I have a couple of lines that I use as a result of these pressures and one of them is uh i don't get ulcers i give them <laughs> <laughs> and the other one the other the other one is uh you'll have to whine faster i'm a really busy guy <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's great jeez that's true and, <laughs> And the, you know, when you say something like that to somebody, they understand. They're just whining. Yeah. Yeah. If they've got a good sense of humor, they'll they'll put a smile on their face. Well, if they don't get it immediately, they get it in a few minutes. <laughs> Jeez, your ability to stretch sets um, was pretty spectacular. I remember the Tokra set in season two with the crystals and. Um, you know, just making these hallways and hallways of crystals. And then come season four, you guys added um, uh, bales of spray-painted hay, you know, into the walls. Yeah. And you, you, you added to the set over time. You know, you, yeah. you continued to evolve the asset that you had based on the budget that you had and made these awesome-looking pieces of architecture. They're just eye yeah. candy to watch. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I built I built entire sets out of um, egg crates. You know how you get your eggs in a little thing, yep. and they got a little. Yep. And I would, I ordered, I told the Tom, I think it was the construction guy, the construction coordinator, to, uh, we're going to build a whole set out of this stuff. He said, "What?" I said, "Yeah, it's cardboard, and then we're going to spray it like it's concrete." Hmm. You're crazy. I said, no, no, just do it. I'll do a test. Yeah, the pattern is cool. Of, we used to do a lot of tests. That's something I should mention. Wow. Uh, if I had an idea, you know, I'd say, give me a couple of four by eight sheets of, of test. Or, or, or for paint, give me a two foot square of this with the finish on it that we're going to use. Um, and then I'd be able to hold it in sunlight. I'd be able to hold it in artificial light or whatever. Uh, to see what the camera would see or see what the eye sees, which are mm. different things. Well, it's controllable what the eye sees. Mm. Um, but, yeah, a lot of tests. 
and this egg crate set was fantastic. I loved it. The texture was unbelievable. Wow. And this and was Stargate. Yeah. Wow. I'm trying yeah. To, I'm going to have to go and have a look. Someone in the chat will figure it out. It was in stage six. Okay. Oh, God. I can't remember. And it had levels. It had a big walking level above it. Okay. Oh, God. I can't remember. It was before the, I think it was before the ice set. Oh, so season one. Okay. And it, yeah, it was, it was, it filled that stage. It filled stage six. Wow. And it was made out of egg crates. Wow, that's amazing. The, yeah. Um, one of my favorite pieces that's routinely used, and it was used in a lot of the Gould sets in the show, it's some kind of water filtration device. And instead of running water through it, you rig lights inside of it and you hang it on the walls like midway through the set. The cargo ship set had a ton of them. And they just looked cool because they they had they had little they had little um grooves through all the way down each side of them and the light from rigging lights on the inside of it would shine out in these really cool patterns. And it's 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 a uh it's not exactly an appliance, but it's a it's com- it's used it's designed for a completely different purpose but because the shape is so cool and because yeah, yeah. you can light it in a certain way you can repurpose this this unit for other things i i can't i can't remember i can't yeah. place it but um just just taking one thing and cannibalizing yeah, yeah. it into something else like your egg crates yeah well we use uh i think uh i you know, you, you take different things and apply them in a different way. Yeah. Another thing that I did, um, I, it was on at Caprica mm. um, placemats. I, what our buyer, construction buyer, went out and said, I can get a million of these things really cheap. And they were placemats, you know, 17 inches by, you know, the normal placemat size. Mm-hmm. But they were like individual little cubes, like little little chiplets basically Mm -hmm. individual all kind of strung together and it was flexible it was great i said really and she she said yeah i can get all kinds of them and i looked at them and i looked at them and i said well first of all you got it because they were rounded and they're joined so they got a gap now you got texture right it's you can't buy square footage like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) pre-made I built it. I built a whole set out of this stuff, mm. out, of, out of you know placemats. Wow. They couldn't believe it. He said, "My and Tom came to me and said the biggest problem was how do we staple them to the wall?" I said, <laughs> Nobody's going to notice the staple, Tom. <laughs> no, your, the camera's too far away. It's not going to get right in close to it. Just put it, get it, get it on there. It'll be fine. Because <laughs> you know everybody has their job and everybody focuses on their job. Um, to 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 uh, a lighting guide, the most important thing in a movie is the lighting. To the mm-hmm. hair and makeup person, the hair and the makeup's the most important. That's what makes the movie. And to to the craft service person, the food that you eat is the most important. Of and, course. <laughs> and everybody has that approach. And when you're in a job like mine, you have to be aware of all of it mm-hmm. because it is you take from all and you contribute to all. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be very wide open in, in all of those things. So you can't just focus and say, well, I design things and that's all. No, you do more than that because right. you're, 
you're thinking of the costume color, you're thinking of the hair color, you're thinking of, you know, I makeup. I've, I've had makeup people come to me and say, what do you want me to do with the makeup on this one? It was a, a little futuristic movie I did way back in the past. And, and she was great. She came up and said, what do you want me to do? And I, this was pretty goth and all of that. And I put the black makeup here and do this. And they said, you sure? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Step off the edge. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> In this context. <laughs> <laughs> it's that old great. joke, right? <laughs> they pushed Geronimo out of the, out of the top of a building and, Somebody asked him how it's going, and he said, as he passed the 13th floor, he said, so far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> what are, do you recall any of the Stargate sets that you were the most proud of over the years? Well, the first one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, after that, you know, um, after that push and that that major effort to design all of that and, and um, that was uh, I mean uh, there, there were a lot of great sets afterwards but uh, that's the one that I would I really remember SGC yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's it's uh it was and how those walls slipped in and moved uh -huh. together and moved apart and, and nobody knew it was great. It really it was and how things got loaded into the second floor and whatever, nobody knew. And it was well, we're not carrying that stuff up on a ladder or not. No, you don't have to. You're gonna put it on a pallet or a forklift, you moron, and lift it up it's through done. the windows upstairs. <laughs> no, there was a little area in the back when oh, you go. Oh wow! You know, you know, the windows were all gimbaled because they had to be because of uh, yeah reflections. Reflections, yeah. If you look really yeah. closely, there's a there's a pin in the middle so they yeah. can do this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, sometimes you want to do that, but oh, that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you want to do both. It's trickery. It's it's whatever it takes to 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 pull it's, off the effect. And it's an, it's an illusion. It's you uh -huh. look back at the early days of movies. It's all an illusion. Yep. Absolutely. And there were there were brilliant things done in camera back in those days. Yep. And I see the trend turning again because to do things in camera is becoming very popular again uh -huh. because actors are getting really tired of being put on a wire and hanging in front of a green screen for six hours a day and being in makeup for the next four, you know? Are you blown away by the technology that's coming out with these volumes and these, these, these monitors that are a as tall as, as a, as a, a whole story of a building, you know? No, no. I, did a, trip, I did a trip over 20 years ago and part of that trip was, uh, I went to, uh, from Vancouver, I went to uh, Tokyo and then to Singapore and then to the Maldive Islands and then back the same way. And what I saw in Tokyo 20 years ago and all the, what, you're, what you're describing was already there 20 years ago. Wow. And it was in 
that kind of thing was starting to happen in London uh, 40 years ago. You know, because you, after my Superman 3 trip, or uh, after that movie, I went to England. And uh, the guy I was working with uh, in Calgary, uh, Peter Merton, who was the designer, hired me. He was over like three or four different continents. And they sent Peter, uh, Terry Ackland Snow, who was the British art director, over to Canada to supervise all of this going on in Canada. And they had an art director elsewhere and also. But it, when we finished the Canadian segment, which took three or four months of shooting, mm. um, I went to England. And they showed me everything. They showed me Pinewood, where the Bond movies were done. They showed me where the Great Gatsby was shot. We had lunch in that dining room. We had. Wow. Uh, they showed me Shepperton. They showed me Elstree. They showed me. They showed me everything. It was and to see how they did their movies. There was a plaster shop. There was a wood shop. There was a paint shop. There was this. There was a costume shop. There was a fabric shop. There was. And it's different back then over there, and it still is, I think. Um, in that somebody gets into the business and they learn, they train them. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like a an apprenticeship, mm -hmm. where if you'll notice the credits, I saw I saw credit oh God on some movie the other day, uh, and a designer that I that I know in England, I see his son's name is. Uh, a set designer in some movie. You, you know the name, right? It's it's an Ackland Snow name, which is very cool. They're very big in England, the Ackland Snows. And uh, Terry was the guy I worked with. And I saw this Ackland Snow in the art department. I said, aha, that's probably Terry's kid. And they bring him along, right? And like Peter Merton's son comes along and he does this and, uh, and props people and set that people. And they train them very, very, very well. Wow. In the thing, uh, one of our ads on Arrow, a great ad, really first rate, Ken Shane. He trained as a T boy in England. His father was a, a DP or a, a lighting guy or a gaffer. So when the when, when the lighting guys would try and bullshit him, he'd, he'd just say no, 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 because he knew his lighting. I see right through that. I see it's right through it. It's going to take you two hours, not four. Wow. That's it. And, but again, he trained. He started out as a T-boy. What he, is a T-boy? Uh, guy runs around getting the director and whoever, coffee and tea. And, okay, so like an aide, okay. It's a PA. Okay, got it. Yeah. Wow. They called them, Well, they used to call them T-boys. Wow. I guess they call T girls as well now. So. <laughs> well, I, I hope <laughs> you you have to start somewhere, and if you're talented and if you're willing to apply yourself and and be receptive to people, you know, you. Uh, well, the thing is, it's yeah. it's such a it, it's. I know it's going through its problems right now, but it's such a great business. Mm. The, I, I liken it to being a carnival person. Mm. <laughs> it's like either you're a carnival or you're not. Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I, there are times over my career that I, I've been on the road for years mm -hmm. to the point I didn't own a car because uh, I'd out my phone would ring. People would say, I'm doing this. I'd say, when are you doing it? I can be there a week or two weeks. 
I get on a plane, I go, I'd be gone six, eight months. Wow. I my phone would ring again. I go <laughs> from there to there. I was gone. It was great. I lived in hotels. I was single. I didn't have a family. I didn't have any girlfriends or anything. It was like great. Love it. What an adventure. You know? Dial nine, room service. It's yeah. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, but anyway, it's, it's, it's such a great business. and uh, But, you know, you have to work hard at it. Yeah. And and, and uh, if, you, if you shut up and listen, you'll learn a lot. My dad used to say that to me. So. <laughs> My dad did something similar as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, the, the, the work that you did um over all of these great shows so many of them are so important to me not just stargate but Battlestar. man yeah, what, a sh- what a show it was such a good show yeah so, that's uh, that's ron moore yeah ron moore absolutely david ike the yeah the, the you guys started in in uh, sg sg1 in 97 i go up to vancouver now i talk to people who are up there it's it's exploded and, and oh, so much totally. of it was because of the money that was put into those productions yeah. that, and, and all of the, the Arrow series and everything else that continued to fuel that, yeah. that economy. And, I mean, they rival Hollywood now. You know, We're huge. Yeah. Vancouver is huge. Well, it's, it's like the Pacific Northwest in America. It's, mm-hmm. it's got, there's a certain glow here. Mm-hmm. And in the winter, it rains. And everything's nice and wet, and it films beautifully. Uh, I arrived here for stakeout many years ago, thirty-six years ago. Wow! And I was at my place was in Alberta, and I I just said I'm never going back, and I stayed. And that was at the beginning of it was stakeout, and uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller had just been shot here. Mm. Uh, that Altman movie mm-hmm. and Gray Fox was shot here at that time. And it was shot just up the road from where I live, actually, in Cypress Mountain. Um, and it just started growing. And Stephen J. Cannell uh, realized there was a difference in the in the dollar. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joe Swirling, I worked with Joe as well here in Vancouver, who was Stephen's like right hand guy. Joe went to Stephen and said. I can save you 25 cents in every dollar you want to spend. And Stephen said, what? Which is how all those cannel shows got to Vancouver, which built the North Shore Studios, which was the first major studio built here in Vancouver. And once that happened, it started, it's a boom, boom, boom. And now it's, it's, it's huge. It's like billions of dollars. It is. And very effects heavy. You know, you can you can get very, so much very, more done. Uh, it. Yeah, a lot of visual effects people here. Yeah, so and uh, it's built great crews because they've worked with great shows, great people. I mean, pick you know the X Files, uh, Mission Impossible's have shot here. Uh, I Robots, you know, big big movies. It's um, and it's a film friendly town. Uh, you know, if the weather is overall pretty good, it rains a little more in the winter time because it's Pacific Northwest. We're, we're very green. Uh, 
we don't have that many deciduous trees where you know oh it's fall and all the leaves fall off the trees right yeah, no. yeah. It's i know christmas cool. films that are being shot up there right now for hallmark yeah you know you can pull it off yeah. just let's put yeah. some white stuff let's put some snow on the ground over there we're good you know well, uh, it's it's august we did that in little women we yeah all those scenes up by the houses that was man-made snow. Wow. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, Very for the true. kids, try and get into the business. It's it's worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been uh, a treat for me to sit down and, oh. and get to know you better. Um, man, what a what a career. What a, what a body of work and and work that will will be watched for a very long time. These these oh. shows aren't going anywhere. People are discovering them, believe me, all the time. Every time I turn around there's a new Stargate fan saying, "Hey, I just found this." Oh yeah. I can't I can't <laughs> I can't wait to watch the rest, you know? It's good quality work and y- you and your teams have done yourselves proud. Well, that's great. It was fun doing them. It was it was it was great. It was uh we 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 had an opportunity to uh, to be creative and, and to to make magic, as they used to say. You know, that sounds like a total cliche, but it's true. Because when it's right, and you film it, and you see it, and you know it's right, you get that little tingle. You know, it's it's fantastic. It's it's something special. You've created something. It's like when it, like, I'm sure it happens in any any person's life and any job that they do uh, building something or being a mason building a building or whatever that's you say that's going to be here a hundred years from now or uh, you know there's a certain pride in a in your work and and what you've done and or or a chef who prepares an incredible meal I don't care what it is you do if you're doing it right and you're enjoying it we had a guy Mary's into above ground gardening. We hit, we hit, and because we're built on a, on a side of a mountain, the house is, and to build this thing, you got to dig into the hill so it's level, right? Because mm-hmm. it's basically a big trough above ground. And you got to put this trough in, and then you fill it full of different kinds of dirt, and then you grow things. We had this fella come over, and he came over with a shovel, and he was the best digger I've ever seen. And his boss said, I'm going to send you my best digger. I said, what are you talking about? This guy was amazing. He had a flat blade and he dug this thing and that trench fit in there. You didn't need a level. It was bang on. And he was the nicest guy. And he was happy. You know? He was good at his craft. And he loved it. He loved doing things like that. And he was happy. And I'm going, you know, good for you. I hope you spread some of that around or people can see it. They should understand that it does exist. And let's stop with the whining and the whinging and how bad everything is. And, yeah. and, and constant, you know, what's that old song? Blue the bear, accentuate the positive. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Be yeah. thankful for what you have. Work your way from there. Count your blessings. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. find something that you are good at. And uh, yes. we should be yes. so fortunate. Yes, yes. Well, you and I are, I think. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank so, you, Richard. My pleasure, my man. Call anytime. We'll figure this video thing out later.
my thanks once more to Richard Hugh Dolan for joining me uh, on this uh, episode of Dial the Gate. Uh, I've been hoping for a long time to add his voice to the collection, and big thanks to to Bridget McGuire uh, for uh, making that possible. Extending an uh, an email that I that I sent uh, to her uh, along to him. Um, this was a real treat for me to, to have him and hopefully we'll have him back in some capacity. Uh, we've got, uh, we've got a few more episodes left before we wrap up, uh, season three, keep it on dialthegate.com for the new episode releases. I'm now keeping the list of some of the episodes that are in the can, but have not been published yet. They were pre-recorded. I, I had this whole list here and I was like, you know what? I really should publish these. It's not like I'm not going to publish them. So you can see them now, uh, available on, uh, dialthegate.com. And, uh, we're about to wind down our season of wormhole extremists, uh, the following weekend with, uh, crystal skull and nemesis wormhole extremists will be taking a, a bit of a break. Dial the gate will play out a little bit further and we will see how things go. My thanks to my moderating team, summer, Tracy, Jeremy, Anthony, Reese, you guys make the show possible week after week, and I really appreciate having you. My thanks to Frederick Marcou at Concepts Web for keeping Dial the Gate up and running, and Linda Gategabber Fury, my producer. Thank you to you, Linda, and everyone for tuning in and uh, and uh, spreading the word about the show on social media. I appreciate all of you. My name is David Reed for Dial the Gate, and I'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com. <laughs>